It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as our thoughts on the Oscars, the Zatuichi films, and Romulan's bearing gifts. the oscars um with who won best picture uh when i heard it was coda i was like you've got to be shitting me um sean hasn't seen it but he thinks it's probably a really good choice for best picture um i mean it's weird to say yeah, seen it, but <laughs> but i guess he has faith that it's probably good obviously i've seen it the movie was perfectly fine i enjoyed watching it I think the girl who's like the main part, I think she's gonna probably have a big future ahead of her. Whatever, blah blah blah. But is it best picture? <laughs> Hell no! I felt like I saw so many movies that uh, in 2021 that I thought were just so much better. And I mean, it was a shame, first of all, to me that something like The Green Knight didn't even get nominated. Uh, it probably came out at the wrong time of year. It probably didn't have anybody politicking for it in the academy which is i'm assuming why it didn't get nominated or anything uh well but that was a far better movie i mean you probably know more about the because i've i've never paid much attention or thought that the academy awards had much credence overall but i feel like they stay away from like they'll nominate things that are a little bit more i would say in the surreally kind of realm they'll nominate them but i don't feel like they generally give them best picture like actual uh awards Oh, I didn't... It's not something I would imagine would win. <laughs> but I think it should have got nominated. And then just for my personal taste, it's it's better. Uh, but no, I wouldn't expect it to win, even if it was nominated. Mm. But um, I just think it's a much better work. Uh, um, shoot. Uh, well, obviously I've stated before, I think Encanto, as an animated film, should have still been nominated for Best Picture. I think it's a far better um, uh, film. Oh God, it's just it's just ridiculous uh, compared to Coda. Uh, um, West Side Story, which I wasn't blown away by, but even that I would elevate more than uh, Coda. Um, and it's not that Coda's bad or anything, and maybe it's because I look at the Oscars the wrong way in my head. Um, but like I told Sean, like there's nothing wrong with the movie, but it's just it's a perfectly fine story. It's a perfectly fine coming of age story, which I happen to like that genre. Hmm. But it's just a coming of age story. It has some nice actors in different roles, great performances. Um, but as far as cinematography and how it's shot, and I was telling him it, it's 
it's it's it's banal. It's by the numbers. It's it's not bad. It's just struck shot like very. I said you could get a film school, uh, a very good film school um, student, and, and you could just shoot it like on 4K on iPhone or something, uh, because of how good iPhones are nowadays. And you could shoot Coda. I feel like. Uh, I mean, I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it's just there's, there's, it's very straightforward. There's, you know, it's it's like a it's it's like a low budget indie production, um, and that's fine and all. But then when you have these movies like, because where I say I think maybe I think of Oscars incorrectly in my brain, I always tell Sean like in my mind, best picture means best everything, like the best people in front of the camera and also working behind the camera and cinematography and effects and sound and performances and story to me it's it's the culmination of everything uh and then so i guess in my world something like coda probably shouldn't win um and it certainly shouldn't beat something like dune i know i have a you know personal bias towards dune uh but but when you just have a movie that's just like hitting on every cylinder creatively and just knocking it out of the park. And I know it did win a bunch of awards, the technical stuff, which fine, whatever. Um, but Coda, man, it's just, it's just a fine. Okay. Movie, but it's just, it's just ridiculous. That's all. That's all I gotta say about that. But, um, but just, uh, cause I didn't pay any attention at all. What else was nominated? Oh, <sighs> I have to bring up the list. Uh, yeah, only if you know. I mean, if if you have to look it up, but uh, no, because there was and, and and this was a year because you know they they do it so where they can choose anywhere between five and ten now. Oh yeah, which is also dumb. I, I don't that. know who likes that. Um, it's weird. And this is one of these years when they picked almost ten, and this is one of those years when they should have just limited it to five because <laughs> there's no reason why you had it because there wasn't that there wasn't enough movies. That were good enough in my like you know to fill out that that roster, but let me look at uh twenty twenty two. So wait, picture. I know it's all nominees. Yeah, is it is it they can choose anything in between five or ten, or do they have to pick either five or ten? It's it's flexible, so they could choose six, they could choose eight. Oh, okay, that's they could choose five. That's better. And so the fact that they went near ten was just like why like. Like unnecessary, like yeah, that's you just weird. don't have that many good movies to pick from. What a weird setup. We can pick whatever number we want as God. long as it's under ten or at ten. <laughs> they just started that like, they just started that again like uh, three or four years ago or something. Yeah, and I'd never heard of it until uh, the Best Picture podcast. I was like, what the fuck? They're doing that now? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Nobody asked for that. Cause I never paid attention. Yeah, I always just felt that those kind of award shows were kind of like let's pat ourselves on the back. It was only uh, Academy voters too, so it always felt like a weird kind of like it's not a legitimate kind of awards system. But well, maybe that's weird to say. I don't know. Well, definitely not. It's not. It's definitely not legitimate. No, I mean, as far as a meritocracy, but it's the best that we got, and it's always been the premiere of award shows. As flawed as that concept is, um, but if you heard me and Sean talk, it's because both he and I grew up. And when we were kids, like, and when we were starting to appreciate movies, you could put faith in that if you were to watch the nominees for Best Picture on any given year, like when we were kids, 
Like, you were probably going to go, yeah, that, wow, that was, you could tell. I don't know how to explain it. It was like an intangible quality that the movies had. But you could tell, yeah, I just watched a good movie, you know, just randomly going through the list. Mm. Uh, and it just does not seem that way, like, in modern times. Uh, I mean, I mean, the batting average. Uh, it just doesn't seem that way. And there's so many movies now that just seem like, really, that movie? Like, how? I remember the part that, because my mom used to watch it every now and again, every couple of years. And the part that always make me so mm-hmm. uncomfortable is whenever they'd be like, and for best actor, and they'd play like a scene out of context and everyone would clap. Mm-hmm. And they'd show the actor awkwardly looking, looking around like, oh, yes, there's that scene completely out of context of me like having an emotional breakdown. It always felt so it felt right. so strange. <laughs> just all that just felt so unnatural and bizarre to just sniff up movies like that and somehow the scene still has impact. Very odd. So there was... Nightmare Alley. Mm, good movie. Uh, hadn't seen it yet, but I will one day. Don't Look Up, which I did see. Yeah, pretty good movie. Uh, Dune. Um, Drive My Car. That's by a Japanese person. I have no idea what that is. Yeah, heard of it. Haven't seen it. Um, Belfast. Good movie. Uh, Sean said it was like kind of nothing's happening, but I... That doesn't mean I don't know what I I don't I have no interest in seeing it, but who knows? Yeah, I just like Brana. Licorice Pizza. Okay, movie. I have mild interest in seeing that. It's okay. Um, Power of the Dog. I do have interest in seeing. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Curious about it though. It's a Netflix movie or available on Netflix. Um, West Side Story. Mm, Another good one. King Richard, the one that Will Smith was in. Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. I'm just not watching that. Well, I really wanted to see it, but I missed it. Did not want to see it even before the the drama. And then Coda, of course. So first of all, too many. Like, don't look up. I like don't look up. I didn't think it should have been nominated. No, at all. Definitely not. Um, (laughs) That's probably one of those like culturally significant nominations. And the other ones I can't really comment on because I haven't actually seen them. Uh, of the because uh, the other, Dune, of course, West Side Story, fine, and that's it. And Coda, so I haven't. I don't look up. I haven't seen the rest. It's like I don't know what to say. Yeah, you know, out of the group, there, I think maybe the one that I would lean to is thinking would be the most uh, prestigious of the movies would maybe be uh, Nightmare Alley. Even though I really like Dune, it's one of those ones where it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings thing where you can't really give the award to an incomplete film or an incomplete story. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Uh, that perhaps if they, if the second does, if the second does better, as good or exceeds the first, that might be the shot to get the, um, yeah. get the award. But Nightmare Alley, really uh, quality work all around. Really, really good movie. Hmm. I don't know, man. I've heard people say that it's one of Guillermo's best movies or whatever in a while or something. He's so hit or miss with me. Like, <laughs> God, some of the stuff I love and then some I'm just like, what the fuck? So, I don't know. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty baseline with him. Generally, I like everything I've seen. But some of them, you know, except for Mimic, of course. But <laughs> it does waver back and forth on how good some of the things are. Um, I, I saw... Um, was it called Daijimin or? Oh, Daimajin? Yes. The kaiju film? 
Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Watched it. I liked it, but I wanted to like it more. Oh, interesting. Mm. Um, I liked. I mean, I liked the whole idea that it was a period piece. That it was this whole like there was it was all about much of it. Of course, is about the human story, and it's like samurai times. Mm-hmm. Like that's so cool. But the actual story itself with the with the usurper. Mm-hmm. It was so paper thin. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of how I felt about the um, the Godzilla animated series. Like, mm. the, you, the story's right there in front of you. The characters, the players are right there playing their parts. But you don't, I, you don't connect with any particular character. Everything is, it just unfolds, but you're not... But I feel like I'm just watching it unfold, but I'm not in it. Oh, I'm not rooting for anybody in it. And so I saw. I felt weirdly detached from because it was just it was just the most bare bones usurper type of story, like generic, like you know, nothing. It was just so by the numbers, and uh. and then when uh, Dijamin gets activated and comes in, mm. like it's really cool and it's like the effects um, are really well done. But mm-hmm. but Dijamin only exists in maybe. Maybe the last 18 minutes of the movie, if that, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's very little, like, towards the end. Um, and it's really, really well done. It's just... Great music. Gosh. Was... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe me and Isaac just have, like, a thing where we can, like, set ourselves in a place. Because, like, I think, like, yeah, maybe the, the story itself is pretty bare bones, but it's got, like, a great thematic feel to it. And just this kind of these these mortals, these humans playing around, and we see the kind of grotesque, like it's a really brutal kind of uh, rulership that, that guy has. Yeah. And I just feel the oppression just running through. And yeah. when he finally gets his comeuppance, it's so satisfying to see. Like what a bastard. Yeah, but I mean, it was almost almost like watching a cartoon, uh, like cartoon characters. It was almost like Skeletor when he like <laughs> took over Castle Grayskull. Hey, speaking of Skeletor. Like, okay. <laughs> hmm. Just the filmation uh, connection. But oh, oh, oh. Um, and then Zatochi, since I have that goddamn twenty-five disc set, God, it's almost like a, <laughs> it's almost like a al- al- uh, an albatross around my neck, like to just have that sitting there, like to have this, you know, the, I mean, the Bergman set's already, you know, pretty substantially physically mm-hmm. large, and then now this Zatochi thing, which I mean, I love it, I love it, um. I've never seen the original Zatoshi, I guess. Uh, I, I, I said this before. Like, I'd never seen the original guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but And I, at first, I thought I, I was unfamiliar with this actor. Turns out I am familiar with him. I didn't realize. But he's so good. And there's something about him, like, I don't know what it is. Because he does not look like a typical Japanese man. Uh, he, he, I mean, just his physicality. In his face, he doesn't look like a stereotypical Japanese person. Um, he almost looks like a Westerner uh, who's pretending to be Japanese. Um, but uh, he, uh, uh, the first two movies, because I just finished the, the first two and I just started the third finally. And the first two are relatively low budget and black and white. So, kind of like the production values of like Psycho, you know, how it was even for its time. Like, it didn't need to be mm-hmm. black and white. And you know how it was kind of done, like, on television sets and stuff? So it was kind of like... Yep. So that's kind of like how the first two Zatochis were. Um, 
pretty bare bones. Uh, and then I just wasn't expecting when I popped in the third that all of a sudden it was in glorious color and and I, and I only watched the beginning, but you, I could already, I could even feel that the cinematography was like on another level uh, of care. And it's just weird, you know, to start with the black and white ones, and all of a sudden it just like turns into a real movie. So it, it kind of got me excited. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with the first two. It's just, and and then those movies, like they made twenty five on in like a course of like eight years. Like yeah, not surprising. It's insane. Like the so like the first two are like in the same year or maybe even the first three, and uh, what's also weird and I and I know it's based upon like a book or something, so that, but at least the first two are very serial. I mean, like the second one is like a direct sequel of the first one. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's a continuation of the story, or it, it or in other words, it remembers everything that happened in the first movie. And carries on with that, you know, which doesn't usually happen when I watch Japanese movies, series, you know, they just, but this one, it carries, it remembers what happened before. Um, so I wonder how long that's going to keep going, if they're going to keep doing that, or if at some point they're going to be like, F it, and just have every story just be its own. Because it seems like, just yeah. like, remember how Godzilla was? I mean, the originals, like they kind of kept it for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, screw it. You know, like, oh, he was frozen last time and now he thaws out. And but then at a certain point, they're just like, why are we even trying? Um, so I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, I don't know much about that. Uh, I don't know much about that franchise, but I know that they have like crazy production blocks in Japan where they'll put out like three three movies in one franchise in a year. Yeah. And they'll just keep pushing them out and pushing them out. And usually they'll get to a point where the people behind are like, we're done. We've been like worked to the bone, just like classic doctor who. Yeah. And then they'll kind of reboot then and then bring someone else in and then dry them out. Yeah. Cause I was wondering if it was like, or I was wondering like, is it like doctor who? It was also like the old serials back in the day. And so I was wondering, was it just, was that the mentality? Like mm-hmm. just treat this like a, like a serial, like a Saturday matinee type thing. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. That's the sense I get. Like yeah. I almost imagine like that, like the tickets were cheaper or something, um, or they would do like double features or something. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, and I also I think I think so. In the United States, we know the series as Zatochi the Blind Swordsman, but I think in mm-hmm. Japan it might literally be known as Zatochi the Blind Masseur. <laughs> I think that's what I think that might be what they actually call it in Japan. I'm not sure. Yeah, and I keep meaning to say because I don't know if because you're watching the movies, if they say the name and I just was wrong all these years. But I always thought it was Zatoichi. Uh, but maybe maybe I'm just hearing the wrong names. I'm saying it the way it's probably like like for instance because I started watching Akira, um, when it was on VHS back in the '90s. Um, mm-hmm. so I grew up with that dub of it, and so Canada's Canada. Um, but then in the oh, late, yeah. but then in the later translations, it's Canada and and stuff. Yeah, and I just can't switch because I was mm-hmm. originally on Canada. And how am I saying his name? Zatochi. Um, yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because. I've known the guy, known of the character, you know, since a long time ago, and that's how we all said it. 
and maybe we were all saying mm. it wrong too. And because, because what Zatuichi is that another way to say it? Yeah, that's the way that I've always heard it. Yeah, Zatuichi, the blind swordsman. Uh, yeah, and it, it, I guess it kind of sounds like that because you can you know you can recognize when they say his name in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Well, actually, in the they say they say it shorter too, because sometimes, like it sometimes it sounds like they just say either they they shorten it somehow. Like I mean, sometimes they say the full name, but sometimes they just say it sounds like they're just saying Oichi or Zato or or something. But I don't know. Oh, interesting. Little nickname. Yeah, sometimes yeah, they they don't say the full name always, uh, but whatever. We'll see. It's just I don't know. I you know other than Godzilla, I've never watched anything that had or or James Bond. I never watched anything <laughs> that had twenty five GD movies, and I just don't know. Like, how do you maintain the quality or the interest or something along so many... That is a lot. Um, Absolutely. Iterations. <laughs> what it, and it's all the same actor, too. Because this is like the, like a, this is the equivalent of the Showa era for him. Because there's the mm-hmm. 90s version. There's the, you know, played by a different actor. That's not included in the set. Oh, wow. So there's a heck of a lot more out. There's a heck of a more out lot out there. This is just the original run. I did not realize that. Yes. <laughs> this is the original run with the original actor. Uh, and then his last movie was like in 69 or 70. Um, but there's there's been plenty more after. That is crazy. Mm. Yeah, he's wow. just that kind of character. Uh, but I had no idea. Had I brought up The Razor to you or you and Sean before? The movie series, The Razor? Uh, I don't think so. I'm not sure I've ever heard of it either. Razor. Hmm. Um, it's Hanzo the Razor. Um, these were these other samurai movies from the uh, either late seventies or the very early eighties, like eighty, eighty-one, somewhere on there. Um, well, I had known about it because I got it on VHS back in the day, and th- there are these like really brutal samurai movies. But in the first one, Hanzo the Razor. Um, there's this whole opening credit scene where he's like working his uh his uh let's see his his phallus he's like he's like um he's like exercising and tempering his phallus uh during the opening credits and it's very iconic if you've ever seen it before i had told sean about this like a year or two ago and he was like what are you talking about and so I think I found it on YouTube or something so he could just watch the opening. And he was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and anyway, I've been aware of Hanzo the Razor for a long time. I had no idea that Hanzo was played by the same actor who plays the original Zatoji. Um, oh. And. Oh, that's cool. And not only that. The same actor played uh, Lone Wolf from Lone Wolf and Cub. So this dude, oh, wow, played the lead in these three iconic series, like movie series. I don't have no idea, and it's funny for him to be because he's a leading man, right? Mm-hmm. But but he's built like like John Belushi. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm thinking of Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah, he's not the most. Uh... Yeah, he's not, he's not a Schwarzenegger. He's not Van Damme. He's like no. John Belushi. 
He's just a dad bod, and I just think that's so weird. But he's got that. It's got that face to him. Yeah. Was he still that way in the the Zatoichi films back in the day? It was the same kind of build. Same build, but his face looks different. He doesn't have the crazy eyebrows, like Japanese eyebrows. Mm. He actually has like a. He looks like Curly from um, the Three Stooges, like uh, bald head when he's Zatoichi. He has bald head. And he has big old ears and big earlobes, and he just—he just does not look like a samurai in any way. But I think that's part of what makes him unique, because <laughs> he just looks super atypical. Yeah, that's fair. Hmm. But yeah, it's the same. This, interesting. this dude is something else. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, that's the diversion of the day. If you really think about it, in Mad Men. They almost never go outdoors, so there's no like walking down the street or like there's like you really they almost never go outside. Almost everything is dialogue driven, and it almost all takes place at a work office, in a fancy dining restaurant, a bar slash club, or someone's home. It's always an interior studio. I mean, you don't really think about it when you're watching the show, but I'm like, wow, that's fucking, like, it's basically like they're making a show with the constraints of, like, theater. You know what I mean? Like, you have, like, only four or five possible locations. They never transition from this location. You know, it'll be a new scene if they transition. And it's only ever Mm -hmm. a restaurant, bar, house, or office. And like never outdoors. And imagine if you had those constraints, right? And yet when you watch the show and it's all just talking, you know, dialogue situational. And yet you don't feel it. You know what I mean? Or you don't you don't feel like you're watching a soap opera or something. You feel like you're watching a fully f- fleshed out show, but you see I marvel at the illusion. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Yep. No, that's cool. And yeah, and you mentioning that actually made me think of a movie that I watched recently, uh, Being the Ricardos. Mm-hmm. I saw that a few days ago. Have you seen that one? No, but you always bring it up, and I always go, oh, no, I haven't seen it. And, you know, one day on my <laughs> list of a bajillion things. Yeah, I just saw it for the first time. I'd heard so many great things. And, of course, it has a lot to do with the old uh, House of uh, Un-American Activities Committee. It's like a big, mm. big kind of tension point for the movie. I have a little bit of an obsession with that, so... <laughs> I, I, I can see that. Well, this is not the same, but, you know, there's The Marvelous Ms. Maisel, and, and Josh mm. just fucking loved the shit out of that show. You know, he was just like, oh, you got, everyone's got to watch this. I only got... I mm-hmm. got, like... I thought it was pretty good. I didn't get sucked in. I saw maybe, like, the first four or five episodes. And I still think it's good. It's just... I wasn't... You know, I just wasn't grabbed by it. And I liked what I saw... But I still can't help it. What I don't like is, yeah, okay, it takes place in the early mid '60s. That's cool. Uh, I know it's loosely based upon, like, the story of um, Joan Rivers. Oh, uh, oh, I didn't realize like, the character is based upon. Yeah, it's not you know beat for beat, but the character is basically based upon Joan Rivers and how she came up in the industry as a woman in mm-hmm. the '60s and everything. I, I get it. Um, that's fine. But I, I just hate, like, a modern show that takes place in the 60s 
but you still feel the cultural relevance of our times, hmm. like, baked into the show. Because, like, of course, like, her best friend is is this, like, butch lesbian, like, straight out of central casting for a butch lesbian. And, of course, that's mm-hmm. her best friend, you know, because of everything. And I just, I don't like when I feel today's issues being grafted on too hard to a classical, you know, like a period piece. Um, well, of course, those, those people existed then. And I've actually seen every episode of that show. No, no, absolutely. Of course they existed. But it's just when it feels a little, like, just forced and... And and well, how is and how the characters are almost self aware that they're breaking the barrier in a weird way. I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. Yeah, I don't know if I if I see that. And there's actually only been one episode where they bring up they're like, Hey, like, are you like I've never seen you once be interested in men, are you a lesbian? And she's like shocked that anyone would even think that about her. She's like, What are you talking about? Lesbian? Like that's insane. And that's the only time it's ever been brought up. So <laughs> maybe they do it fine in that show. And of course, lesbians existed. Of course, everything existed. It's just in Maisel, I just feel them winking at me. You know, like see, see, see. Like I just rather things just play out naturally. And of course, you can have gay people. It's just there's something about them winking at me. They can totally have a butch lesbian just don't wink at me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I ever got that. But I will also say that show, because it's so much about these kind of comedians who are getting arrested all the time for kind of breaking decency norms. Mm -hmm. So it is a little bit more about people that push the bounds. Like they have Lenny Bruce in the show all the time. And see, I'm I'm fine with that message. And I always wonder, how come the liberals on the show, I mean, behind the the camera, behind the scenes, um, producing the show, how come they never make that connection from that era like the people who were pushing back against authority and decency how come they never make the correlation between that and like what's happening now with um cancel culture and censorship now you know what i mean well we discussed this lots of times it's a it's a very different scenario Uh... i mean they're not going to, to clubs and locking up comedians for breaking decency norms in modern day even someone like dave Chappelle. no you're right they're not doing they're not doing that but you're right about that. Um, but they are trying to end people's careers um, who are on the vanguard of that. Yeah, but I was going to say, I mean, look at how much controversy. I mean, Dave Chappelle's whole career has been huge controversy. First it was conservatives. Now it's liberals. But no one's ever stopped him. He still always gets the deals that he wants. He still always has his voice. And thank goodness for that, first of all. Uh, but number two, yeah, that's the thing, though. He's so big. Uh, they would love. They would love to him be to be locked away forever. They just can't. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But the people who are not Dave Chappelle's, the, le- the the smaller folks, so to speak, they're able to get rid of them or pick them off. They don't have the power that Chappelle has. Yeah, I don't know if I've heard too many of them. But uh, I just don't see why they don't. I just are they not aware of the irony? Well, again, I think it's a very different scenario but because again it's not actual laws i think it's different but i don't think it's very different no i think having a criminal record is much different than being canceled i mean that screws up your life in terms of having a criminal record is much different yeah i mean that can actually no no okay that is different that is different 
but the mentality is the same of uh, the, men- the the mentality of those who wanted those people arrested and locked up I don't do they not see the irony of the mentality even though we're not talking about people getting arrested literally uh, nowadays yeah and also I don't know anything about the writers of that show I don't know how uh, if they're like huge lefties who are super into cancel culture or anything like that <laughs> well I'm, and I'm not only uh, it's probably a mixture it's probably a mixture and I don't just mean that show but I just mean in all these shows in general I'm not just picking on that one show <laughs> it's just it's just so fucking ironic and it's so obvious I mean the irony but I don't know I still don't know how they square it uh have I seen anything yeah. else I don't think I've seen oh fuck apparently I accidentally watched or unintentionally watched what's considered one of the greatest hallmarks in LGBT cinema. I had no idea. Pink flamingos? <laughs> no. I mean, that is iconic, I guess, but it's not that one. That's not lauded in the same way as this movie I watched. Um, sure. Uh, so I, I just watched the, chronico- the the next chronological movie in the... Oh man, I still don't have his name. Memory. Gongwar, Kai, Kai Gongwar. I just watched the next movie in the set chronologically. This movie from 1997 mm-hmm. called um, Happy Together, and I just popped it in. And right from the very beginning, I said, "Oh boy, here we go." Okay, man on man romance. Okay, I didn't see that coming, especially out of a very Chinese or Hong Kong movie. And I was like, "Okay, okay, that's fine." I can roll with this. And, you know, I started watching the whole... You know, I watched the whole thing, obviously. And, okay, I had opinions about the story in the movie. And then... Because I I don't look up anything. I don't Google anything until, you know, I watch the movie. And then as soon as I started Googling, then I realized, like, how beloved this movie is and how praised it is. And, you know, it's, it's like, on all these lists of, like, all-time like best or most significant lgbt movies it's considered the best asian lgbt film ever all kinds of things and in retrospect when i was reading that stuff i was like okay i see it makes sense make it just it's just weird that i stumbled into it (laughs) completely randomly and i was like okay i see it i see it and it was an interesting story um uh and then i loved because oh man you know when you have a movie and it has its story and that you know the it's one of those movies that has layers or levels um so there's the obvious love story if that's what you want to call it between the two guys but i didn't realize until i was reading articles that there's a ton of um subtext and allegory that had to do like so there's these two men but their relationship it wasn't just about two guys being in love it was an allegory for what was going on in hong kong politics in 1997 i had no idea it was kind of like uh have you ever heard the theory about you're the one who hasn't seen casablanca or don't like it oh no yeah i've seen that many times but you don't like it or yeah i love it okay so somebody else maybe it was sean but anyway um so have you heard the theory about casablanca i don't know if it's a theory or just it's just evident self-evident but how like the main characters in the in the movie yeah they're kind of stand-ins for countries or different mm-hmm. like political you know idea of the time 
Well, that's kind of like what's going on in this LGBT movie. Is the characters are, are kind of like stand-ins for different political sides of what was going on in Hong Kong in the late 90s. And so I was like, oh boy, I, I, I did not realize it as I was watching it. And I was just like, fuck, this guy's a genius. Um, uh, Wong Kar Wai, whatever his name is, who made the movie. And so yeah, it was pretty impressive. But my first takeaway, though, is this movie's all about these two guys, obviously. Uh, and some people laud the movie for very really realistically depicting like a gay relationship. Um, fuck, their relationship is so fucking toxic. It is fuck like hmm. oh my god, like as a straight guy with my relations in my life with others, I mean romantic. I'm the kind of personality that I cannot deal like with toxicity or whatever you want to call it. Like I'm the kind of per- I have a, such an aversion to it like in real life, um, and so that was my feeling watching like fuck how can these dudes stand each other. Because their relationship is so ugh, it's so it's so not right, and it's not the gayness. It's just how they disrespect each other. It's so ugh. So that that's probably why I wasn't able to see like the the symbolism and allegory because I was just like ugh, like these two just need to stay away from each other. Um, but anyway, that was a fascinating movie, and I, it's just weird that I stumbled into it because it's not something I would ever seek out. Uh, it just it just came up in that set. That guy's a genius. Yes, yeah, so you've been enjoying the enjoying the movies going through them so far. Hell yeah! Like, I don't know if I told you or it was you and Sean, but like I think you were there when I, I was saying like I have always loved uh, Lost in Translation, and mm. now I see it like it's just like until I saw Bergman, I didn't realize how many filmmakers drew from Bergman in his style. Um, and the same thing's true for Kubrick. Um, and this guy, he's not as famous as those guys, but now that I've seen his movies and I get what his style is, um, his altruistic style, now I can see filmmakers who draw from it. And Sofia Coppola, a hundred percent was basically copying his style when she made that movie Lost in Translation. It's, it's so obvious that she was like inspired or whatever. Um, hmm. So as being a lover of that movie, I can completely see like the DNA connections of, of you know, of Wong Kar Wai or whatever his name is. His, I, can see, I can feel his essence. It's like all over Lost in Translation and movies that are like that. I don't, uh, oh, cool. His movies are basically um, about people who are loners even if they're in a relationship or not, they're still kind of loners and they have trouble connecting with people and they tend to be introverts um, and they tend to have inner struggles that they're not, it's not easy for them to share like with others around them. And they're, yeah. And they are people who are kind of feel lonely, like in the world kind of drift around and, and, and then there's something about his cinematography. Well, he collaborated with the same guy, but still the, the, the the dp like it's like some of the tone of the movies tends to be very like mundane slice of life but the cinematography somehow elevates the mundality of the settings so Hmm. 
even though they're just like in crappy apartments or on crappy city streets, because of the cinematography, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, you've seen Akira, right? And you know how in Akira, especially like in just the first 10 minutes, you know how when it just shows like a city alley and you just see like the garbage or the, you know, or kind of like how Blade Runner is because Blade Runner, I mean, that's what Akira looks like. You know how you just see the garbage and the papers flying around and the the dirty, wet street? Like, mm-hmm. this guy, him and his cinematographer, they just somehow capture that, like, in all the movies. So even though everything is very mundane, it just, like, feels super real and, like, lived in. And so, yeah. yeah whatever. Yeah, so mainly, like, dramas that he makes? Oh, yeah. They're all melodramas. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. They're all like bittersweet love stories, sort of. But, um, yeah, so for the little stinger part here. So as you we were talking about Strange New Worlds, I was like, okay, you know, like I am hopeful for this show, but let's see who's, uh, let's see who's running it. And of course, it's still created by the usual guys, Akiva Goldsman, Hack, and Alex Kurtzman, also Hack. Yeah. And um, so I was like, okay, you know, that's, you know, they created it, but that's, that's fine. They're kind of running Star Trek right now, but who's kind of the showrunners? Right. And they definitely say that they were, you know, pivotal or pi- fuck, I can't speak now. Pivotal in uh, the creation and development, but it does look like they're maybe handing it off to someone else. So that's kind of positive, but who's this Jenny Lumet? Yeah, because... I know Alex Kurt, yeah, like you said, he's like the executive running all the Star Trek stuff. There's, I mean, he can't be, yep. yeah, super hands-on everything. Yeah, and Akiva Goldsman, I mean, I've never been a fan of him ever since the Batman stuff that he did. Back when I was a kid watching the special features of him talking about his scripts for uh, Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. And he would talk them up, he was like, Oh, you know, my movie, it's going to be this super, you know, it's going to be a character study of Bruce Wayne, Batman Forever. We're diving deep into the psychology of Batman. Then you watch the movie and it's like, you are, did you write a different script than what made it to the screen? <laughs> or are you just, like, lying to us? <laughs> like, So I've always had a disdain for this guy and to see him attached to Star Trek 2, I always thought it was a big red flag of, oh no, like, you've gotten kind of another person who doesn't have any talent as a writer. So it, it looks like the two of them are more consulting producers, but it does say that Goldsman has written the first episode of uh, Strange New World, Worlds. So that's no good, because, yeah, not a good uh, writer. But <laughs> Oh, it does look like, yeah, I guess COVID was the reason it's been so long delayed. I didn't realize for that show. Mm. Yeah, but... You, oh. How's it? Yeah, bear, bear, bear. I don't know. It's hard to talk about it if you haven't seen all of Discovery. The part of Discovery that was good. Yeah, and I, I might... I guess it's coming out in, what, a month? This this show? May 5th? Yeah, I might uh, try to catch up. At least watch the second season of uh, Discovery. And see how that, how that turns out. But Yeah. And if you are watching second season... Well... Shit, we already got so much shit going on as it is. I'm talking about recording. <laughs> I yeah. was like, we could be talking about that too. But there's already so much shit going on. But uh Yeah. Yeah. But Anson Mount is 
the shit. He's so good with his Star Trek stuff. Rebecca Romaine is also really good. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. I'm definitely curious. Maybe we should do uh, The Cage as well. Oh, fuck. Try to fit that in during the run of that. Uh... Wait, has that been done already? No, it's... No. I feel like I've done The Cage a thousand times in my life. I don't know why. Like, I feel like I was doing podcasts on The Cage before the before podcasts were a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, and talking to lots of people about it. Back like, Trek Dimensions or something. I, there's something about The Cage... I, has it been done on RBG? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like... Nope. I think it... Uh, yeah, there's barely been anything. That's the crazy thing about going through well, all these RBGs again. So few episodes. Maybe we did a sci-fi party line. There's like a... Oh, that's interesting. There's an episode There's an episode somewhere. Maybe it's in New Trek. Maybe it's in Discovery. It might be Discovery. Oh. Where they like go back to that planet. Like, do you, are you saying maybe when you reviewed the second season of discovery maybe you talk right. about it then right like they there might be an episode of discovery where they return to the planet from the cage something like that that's interesting something i can't remember well yeah if you want to hold off yeah you can get to it some other time no hey, you want to do the cage do the cage it's just i just think the cage is so effed out i so much prefer um because actually the first three tos episodes wait is it the first three or first too well obviously the cage was like the original pilot but then um what's it where no man has gone before and yeah that one yeah i always think that's a much better one like yeah that's a great one that's like a much better like first episode uh in my opinion yeah i really like that one and there's an episode of the orville which is like the cage a little bit oh that's interesting and they they did yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Orville did something like the cage. It was kind of cool. But, uh... Oh, that is cool. Um, oh, I... I started watching this series. Apple Plus has all these series that look really expensive. And I feel like nobody's watching Ooh. them. Uh... Because every time I check one out, they just look like they're really, like... Like, like movie budgets. Um... I started watching this one on there. And the reason I was so... I've been seeing the ads everywhere, but this is one called We're Crashing, or We Crash, wait, it's, yeah, it's something, something like that. Um, and in the, in the poster, like, I can't tell, there's a man and a woman walking together, but because of their hair, makeup, and costuming, I can't tell who they are, but do you know that guy, um, what's his name, Michael Weisler or whatever, uh, do you know the guy in the room, you know the movie, the room, uh, Oh, yeah, Tommy Wiseau or... Tommy Wiseau? Yeah. Whatever his name is. So this ad I keep seeing for this thing on Apple, it looks like him. And that's the whole reason I was intrigued. Because I was like, why, who the hell is this and why does this person look like Tommy Wiseau or whatever? It's not him, but it looks like him. And so after being bombarded with these ads for like two weeks, like on my social media, I finally was like, oh, I got nothing to watch this morning. Let me, what is this show? I had no idea it was um, Anne Hathaway and uh, um, Jared Leto. And I had no idea that was Jared Leto because you can't tell from the photo. Because he's been, he's been... He's had a little bit put on his face to disguise his appearance. Just a little bit. But, it, but it's enough that you don't realize it's him. Um, mm. And so I started watching this show called 
uh, we crashed or whatever. Um, and it's based on a true story that I knew nothing about. And I watched the first two episodes. And I don't know if it's a good series overall, but I think the acting by Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway is top-notch. And how how is he such a good actor who is so hit and miss? You know what I mean? Well, he's like a Nick Cage type, I guess. He's kind of hard to control. But... <laughs> Nick Cage type. Oh, I think like in terms of... I was like, his acting is nothing like Nick Cage. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Nick, Nick Cage, if he gets on the right wavelength, can be brilliant. But then if he gets just... He just doesn't quite get what the project is, or he has like a weird vision, he can just completely fuck it up. I feel like Jared Leto is kind of the, a similar way. Because he is amazingly playing this character... Who is like a weird version of Tommy Wasaw or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> and he's like the character he's playing, uh, I guess is is Jewish by heritage, but he's not he's not a stereotypical Jew, whatever that means. But somehow Jared Leto is believable as this guy with this Israeli accent. Like, I don't know, I don't know. It's it's a really good performance. I think. Hmm. So I'm, I'm not in love with the series, but I am compelled by just his performance. And Anne Hathaway, not as interesting, but she's also doing like a weird, interesting voice for her character. Um, it's interesting. Like a weird, a weird modern day transatlantic kind of voice. Oh. For her character. It's kind of cool. Uh, and it's based on a true story. I guess the character who Anne Hathaway plays is like a cousin of Gwyneth Paltrow in real life, which is weird. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't know she has any relation to Gwyneth Paltrow, but it's just weird that I think it's her real life cousin or something. Oh, that is odd. Hmm. Just cutting in here from the editing booth. So since this bonus section and the one prior are both cutoffs from recordings over on our Star Trek podcast, I figured I'd mention... If anyone's interested in listening to those episodes, I included a link in the description. But you can find them wherever you found this episode. Just type in Romulans Bearing Gifts and, and there you go. Right now we're just finishing up our coverage of Strange New Worlds Season 1. And we're about to jump into Picard Season 3. So if you're a fan of Star Trek, absolutely go check that out. It's me and Eric, as well as a cadre of other hosts. And uh, it's, it's a really fun show. Oh boy, I've... Uh... I started playing the first episode of Discovery, just to. I did the same thing. I did the same thing. And I'm watching the uh, the recap, which I skipped when I watched it last time. And I was like, "Wow, I don't remember a lot of this stuff. Like, so much of it's just completely wrecked my brain." So you started watching like like season one, episode one. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, it's season two, uh, episode one. But I just skipped this, skipped the recap. Oh my bad. I watched the first three and then. I went back and watched 1-1, one, one. Um, and I did watch the recap uh, for Season 1 when I started Season 2 earlier today. Um, no, but when we actually start talking about this, yeah, I'll explain, because <laughs> I definitely have sure. some reactions that I, I wasn't expecting. I was actually thinking about going back to the first season to watch the first episode, because I was like, man, actually, I'll wait, I'll hold off for that, too. No, I didn't listen to that one yet. 
Yeah, I like snipped uh, an ending off of another thing and just put it in there. Hopefully it comes across okay. Oh man, I used to do that stuff all the time in my early days of podcast editing. I used to do crazy, like extra, like I didn't have to go that far, but I would. Okay. And I even did it to the point sometimes, because I used to edit all the sci-fi party lines for like 20 episodes in a row. I had like a, I was like a comic oh, wow. artist or writer where I had like a 20 episode run on sci-fi party line as like the editor producer oh cool i didn't realize and it was like a weird experimental time yes and um you know one one time we never did a proper closing for whatever episode we were doing and so i literally just went through different footage of just cat talking uh and i literally edited out like individual words and phrases and i created like a Mm. sentence out of nothingness yep where Kat was like, all right, well, that's the show. So I guess next time when we talk about da-da-da, you know, you know, blah, blah, whatever, whatever she said. Yeah, I just took elements of her from different things and, and I created it. And it's totally convincing. Like, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't realize. Yeah, the speakeasy episodes that I do, almost none of them ever have an ending. <laughs> And so, yeah, I always have to... I used to try to pull that kind of shit, but now I'm just like, ah, screw it, I'll just... It's not necessary, yeah, you just, like... Yeah, just fade the music and... Yeah. <laughs>